So tonight we get to talk about the good news. And, and to be real, you've been in Christian school, some of you guys for only this year, some of you guys for a long time. So you're probably familiar with the image of Jesus on the cross, right? I mean, you've seen that on necklaces and on posters and paintings and maybe even you've watched a movie about it. You know, so we have this picture of Christ on the cross and we have another picture of Christ where he's this white guy with wavy hair that's going around doing miracles here and there. But I think the one thing we forget that Jesus, if we read the, the Bible, that Jesus never lets us forget is that Jesus is God. It's huge. If you never realize that, Jesus is God. He's not just a man dying for his friends, but Jesus is God. You know, in, in John 1, it says that Jesus created everything. And without Jesus, nothing was made that was made. Pretty hard to think about because you think about God in three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's hard to think about. It's confusing. But Jesus reiterates over and over and over in the Bible that he is God. So what I want to do tonight, I want to look at the gospel, but I want to look at it from a a different angle. I want to start in the book of Mark in the New Testament. Second book, Mark chapter 2. We'll have it up on the board. This is a story of Jesus uh, healing somebody. And there's a bunch of stories like this in the Bible, right? Y'all heard these where, where Jesus will heal somebody's legs or he'll heal somebody's eyes. And all the time Jesus is healing people. But in this story, I think if, if all we see is the healing, then we miss a lot of it. Uh, because in it, Jesus is telling us something so much bigger. He's telling us over and over and over that he is God. And that's why these guys were trying to kill him. These guys are trying to kill him, not because he's doing nice stuff, because everybody likes miracles, right? At this time, it's pretty crazy. Jesus has a big following because he's doing tricks, you know, and this is a time without Netflix, without Call of Duty, you know, no, and nobody's in their house watching TV. Nobody's watching movies. Everybody is sitting around a candle, you know, and then some guy comes into their town and he's doing miracles like raising people from the dead and fixing people's legs. So, heck, yeah, there's a huge crowd following Jesus. Right. So he gets these huge crowds built up. But if, if you notice in the Bible, then he keeps diminishing his crowds. And then they'll grow up again. They keep diminishing because he keeps making crazy claims like, I'm God. And he says things like, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And the crowd in John 6 says, all right, we'll see you later. You know, they're freaked out by claims like that because Jesus is saying that he's God. So what I want to do, I want to look at this, uh, at this healing in Mark chapter 2 and look at what Jesus is showing us about himself. When he returned, when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So just like his home county. Many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise up, take up in your bed, and walk. But so that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I said to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and immediately picked up his bed, and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like that. Okay, so y'all get the scene, right? Jesus is back in his home county, and everybody's like, man, he's doing tricks. Let's go see him. Maybe he'll feed us again. Maybe he'll give us some more fish and bread. So everybody's piling into this house to hear Jesus teaching. 
So it said there's no more room, not even at the door. So picture in a small house and people are just wall to wall, just crammed in there trying to listen to Jesus teach. People are clawing at the windows, trying to get in there and hear him because, I mean, this is the guy that does tricks, right? So they're all coming out to see him. And then these guys want to want their friend to be healed. All right, so it says that four guys start carrying their buddy who's a paralytic. He can't walk. His legs do, don't work. And so they carry this guy to the house. And you can picture him like trying to get in the doors, right? And nobody's letting him in. Everybody's like, no, nah, man, you can, he'll get fixed later. And so they, they're just not letting him in the doors. And so they bring this guy up on the roof. How they did that, I don't know. Hopefully it was one of those houses, like a flat Mediterranean house where they had stairs on the side, you know, and they could bring him up on the roof. Hopefully they didn't like toss this joker up on the roof, you know, or like hoist him up there. I don't know how they got this guy up on the roof, but you're picturing the scene. They're, they're laboring to get this guy in his bed up on the roof together. And then they start tunneling through the roof. This is not their house. So picture the, the homeowners like, what, the, what the heck? You know, cause they're tunneling. I don't know if it's like a thatch roof, you know, a palm branches or if it's like mud and they're like digging and picking at this roof to try to get down. But Jesus knows what's going on. Right. And so you can imagine he's thinking, ah, they're, they got him up on the roof now. Ah, they're starting a tunnel, you know, and these guys in the house, stuff's gotta be like falling down from the roof. They gotta be hearing these guys scratching and clawing at this. I mean, there's mud bricks are scratching and clawing at it. And finally they get an opening big enough for, to fit a man down crazy. So these guys are working and working and removing blocks and everybody's like, what in the world are these guys doing? And they lower this guy down, right? They lower it down before Jesus and he's got to be laughing. He's got to be thinking, man, this is awesome. These guys faith, they'll even tunnel through a stranger's roof to bring their friend in to get his legs healed. And that's what they wanted, right? They wanted their buddy's legs to be healed, right? Look at what Jesus says. When he sees that they, they lower him down, verse five, Jesus saw their faith and he said to the paralytic, my son, your sins are forgiven. But time out. That's not why they lowered him down. What did they want? Yeah, they want his legs to be fixed. And Jesus kind of ignored the leg thing and went straight for your sins are forgiven. Why did he do that? See, he's claiming to be something more than a magician, you know, something more than just somebody who does tricks, right? He's saying he has the authority to forgive people's sins, to make it as if they've never sinned. A clean start, right? All right, so first thing, Jesus claims to be God by claiming to have the authority to forgive people's sins. Now, look at this, verse 6. Some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, do these guys say that out loud? No, they're questioning in their hearts. Look what happens next. Jesus reads their mind. Crazy, right? It says, immediately Jesus perceiving in a spirit that they questioned this within themselves, he's reading their minds from across the room. Like, imagine you're sitting here thinking bad thoughts about me, and I'm like, whoop, stop. You know, y'all be like, all right, see ya, you know? It'd be, it'd be weird, right? So, I mean, picture, he calls them out for what they're thinking across the room and says, why are you thinking this? And then he, listen to what he says. Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven or rise up, take up your bed and walk. All right, think about that. Which is easier to say? Oh, I always thought of it like, which is easier to do? Would it be easier, I don't know, in theory, because he's God, but would it be easier in theory to fix somebody's legs or to fix their soul? It would, it would seem easier to fix their legs, but which would be easier to say? It'd be easier to say your sins are forgiven, right? Because there's no proof. Like I come up, Justin, and I could be like, Justin, your sins are forgiven. And y'all be like, you're crazy. You know, y'all should get up and walk. But, you know, uh, if I said, Justin, your sins are forgiven, there's no proof, right? 
But if we had a guy here who couldn't walk, if I said, man, your legs are fixed, well, then I'd have to really perform, right? That would have to happen. So he says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or your legs are fixed. But so that you might know that I have the authority to forgive sins, your legs are fixed. This is wild. Because Jesus is claiming to be God by having the authority to forgive sins. Then he reads these guys' minds across the room. Pretty crazy. And then he fixes this guy's legs. He said, but so that you know that I have this authority, here your legs are fixed. Crazy. So he's claiming to have the authority over people's bodies, over people's minds, over sin. Jesus is claiming over and over and over to be God. Jesus wasn't just a nice guy that walked around doing nice things, right? Jesus is God. Jesus is God. The God of the Old Testament. Jesus is God. It's hard to think about. It's crazy to think about. But look how he finishes it off. He says, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. Why does he say it like that? That's a weird thing to say, isn't it? Like, I don't walk around going, the son of Steve is hungry. That's my dad's name, Steve. You know? That seems weird. You know, why does Jesus walk around saying, the son of man does this and that? That's, That's weird, right? What is he saying? That's not just weird Bible talk. He's really claiming something here. He's not just saying, I'm a man just like everybody else. Although, in a sense, Jesus was fully God and fully man. Hard to think about. But he's saying the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. Now, one of the reasons these guys are getting so mad when he's claiming to be God is because of who he's claiming to be. Y'all know who the Son of Man is? It's crazy. If you look back in the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel, I'll flip there for you. You don't have to go. Uh, I'll flip there. Daniel chapter 7. Give me a second. It's a hard book to find. All right, Daniel chapter 7. I want you to listen to this. This guy, Daniel, is having a vision of the future. And he's looking into heaven, and and here's what he sees. It says, and I looked, and thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Who's that? Who do you think that is, the Ancient of Days? It's God, right? The Ancient of Days is God. It says, and his clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. And his throne was fiery flames, and its wheels were burning fire. And a stream of fire issued and came out from before him. And thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were open. So picture the scene. He's looking into heaven, and he sees God dressed in white, and is sitting on a flaming throne, and there are thousands standing before him ready to be judged at the last day. Now look. Verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him, the Son of Man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him, the Son of Man. That's a pretty big deal. His dominion, the Son of Man's dominion, is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. All right, let's go back to Mark. That's who Jesus is claiming to be. Picture this. All nations in the future are standing before God. All authority is given to the Son of Man. And Jesus said, yeah, you know that guy? That's me. The Son of Man, me, has authority to forgive sins. That is huge that Jesus is claiming that. And he says it over and over and over in the Bible. He calls himself the Son of Man this, the Son of Man that. And um, look at this. Jesus makes claims all over the scriptures to be God. One place he calls himself the Son of Man, one of my favorites, is, you know, Jesus was crucified, just like we had this skit that was showing that, that God's wrath was poured on Jesus, so it wouldn't have to be poured on those of us that are in Christ. So 
he goes before he's uh, to be crucified, he goes before the high priest. And he's kind of getting questioned in these weird mock trials. You know, they kind of do these trials, but they already wanted to condemn him. And so he's standing before the high priest. And the high priest is asking him questions like, hey, man, are you God? Is that what you're claiming to be? Listen to this in Matthew 26. The high priest stood up and said to Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. All right, so picture the scene. The high priest, he's, he's seated. He's sitting on, the, on a judgment seat in the court. And Jesus is standing, right? Jesus is standing. His arms are bound. He's been beaten up. And he's saying, all right, this is it, man. This, you might get acquitted here if you'll tell me the truth. Are you the son of God? He's standing in the seat, or sitting in the seat of judgment. And Jesus is standing. Are you the son of God? And I'm like, all right, here goes. Jesus is going to drop it on him. And he says this. Jesus said to him, you have said so. What does that mean? Because at first when I read it, it seemed like a cop out. Like it seemed like Jesus wasn't saying yes or no. He was saying like, well, that's what you say. But that's not exactly what Jesus is saying here. Because if you look earlier in this chapter, you remember when, um, some of you may remember when uh, Jesus is betrayed by this guy, Judas. You remember this? And they're all sitting at the table, and Jesus said, one of you guys is going to betray me. And they're all like, oh, no, is it me? Is it me? And Judas says, is it me? And Jesus says what? You have said so. Basically saying, yeah, man, it's you, and you know it's true. You've already given them the money, right? Yes, it's you, and you know it. He's, he's using the same phrase here when he's talking to the high priest, and the high priest is like, are you God? And Jesus says, yes, and you know that. You know that's true. You said so. And it says this. But I tell you from now on, Jesus says, you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Basically, he's painting him a picture. He's like, do you you're seated judging me right now? But there's a day coming when I, the son of man, will judge you. Whew, that's powerful. And the high priest tore his robes and said, blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You've heard his blasphemy. All right. So all throughout the scriptures, Jesus is claiming to be God. He is not just a man, right? And Jesus, remember we talked about all things were made by Christ. All things were made by Christ. He is the, the son of man who's going to judge all people at the end of the day, at the end of days, right? That Jesus is going to judge. He created all things. He sustains all things. Jesus is sovereign over all things. That means he has power over all things. But look at what he did. Philippians 2. It's important for us to understand Jesus in the Bible, but we have to understand him through the lens and the understanding that he is God, right? Philippians 2, it says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Listen to what Jesus, the Son of Man, did. He made himself nothing, taken on the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Okay, so God came to be with us. That's what Emmanuel means, God with us. God subjected himself to being a man and not just the best of men, right? I would think if I was God and I was going to come as a man, I would at least come as the top man. You know, I would at least come as the best warrior, the most powerful king. And it still would have been a huge demotion, right? From being God to being a man. Now you're not everywhere at once. You're in one body, right? You, now you got to get dust in your eye and things like that. But he, he lowered himself from being God to being man. But this says he lowered himself from being man to being the lowest of men. He became a servant, right? 
He didn't, he didn't come as a ruler. He was born in a barn. He, bec- he worked as a carpenter. And he was a servant. He served his friends around him. So from being God to being man, from being man to be the lowest of men, and then God submitted himself to death. Now, what do we talk about this morning? We talked about that everyone is under condemnation because of what Adam did, right? Because of what Adam did, that we inherited that. That sin brings death, and now we are condemned, right? We stand condemned because we're sinful. Now, this is crazy. Jesus was God on the earth, and he never sinned. He never did anything wrong. This is huge. You think about it, because when you look at the Bible, you get this picture that Jesus kind of floated around, did some miracles, and he's out. But Jesus was 33 years old and never had a lustful thought. You know, he had, he had the sex drive of an 18-year-old at one point, right? Jesus was 10-year-old playing in the woods at one point and never sinned, right? Isn't that crazy to think about? I'm 35. I can't think about living my life up until this point and never sinning, never doing something wrong, never not doing something right. He never sinned. Now, can we do that? Heck no. You probably can't go 10 minutes, right? I, I screw up all the time. This is, this is key, though. Because if Jesus had sinned, then he would have gotten the same thing we got, right? If he was able to sin, if, that was, if he was capable of sinning, then he would have been under condemnation as well. But this is, this is clutch that, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Let's look at Romans 5. We looked at this verse this morning. Romans 5. Man, this is the good news of the gospel. Romans 5. I'm going to start in verse 6. For while we were weak... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Listen, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's crazy. Not because of good things we've done. It doesn't have a lot to do with being good or being bad. You know that? That Christ died for us while we were his enemies. Look at what it says. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Okay, so we looked at this skit about Jesus on the cross. Why did he do that? Why did he have to do that? God, his wrath, remember this morning, his wrath is reserved for the unrighteousness and ungodliness of men, right? But on the cross, there's a verse in the Bible that says that Jesus became sin for us. That Jesus took all of our badness, all of our unrighteousness, right? So that he could give us his goodness. Because we can't do that on our own. We can't go without sinning. We're born into this whole system where we're enemies of God, but God punished Jesus for us. That's huge. That's the gospel. So then we can get his righteousness. We can get his goodness. It doesn't have anything to do really with us working hard to be real good and not do these things and make sure we do these things. And now we'll be good enough for God to accept us. It doesn't matter how good we are. God will not accept us without the blood of Christ because his blood is perfect and spotless. And whatever we offer up is garbage, right? But while we were unlovely, while we were sinners, while we were God's enemies, he died for us. Crazy. To give us his goodness. I, I explained that to my, my daughter that way. I've told this story a lot, but I, you know, I, I told y'all about my daughter, Knox, who's uh, crazy. But then my older daughter, uh, she, uh, she's not so crazy. She's pretty even keel. But, you know, we're, we're thinking about, man, we want to teach these girls about Jesus. We want to teach them about God. How are we going to do this? Like, how are we going to do this to the point where they don't just grow up thinking, oh, yeah, Jesus died on the cross, forgive me for my sins, but not really attach that to a real 
day that happened. Not really attach that to something real. That they would just say that, but not really know what they meant. And so what we decided to do in teaching our kids the gospel and teaching them the good news that Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. It was already condemned. He came to save it. How are we going to teach them? So what we decided to do, right or wrong, we decided to start telling them stories about Jesus, but not tell them about the cross. For now. And so for a couple of years, we just told them stories about Jesus healing people and Jesus fixing people's legs and fixing people's eyes and how Jesus was God and how Jesus had authority over wind and waves and all that. We told them good story after good story after good story about Jesus for years, but never told them the cross until one night when we felt they were ready. And uh, I sat down, me and my wife and, uh, and our kids, and I said, all right, tonight, tonight, we're going to hear a different story about Jesus, one you've never heard before. And so we got this really graphic picture Bible and I opened it up and it's, it's like a picture Bible for adults. It's super graphic, um, but opened it up and started telling the story about how Jesus friend turns him in for money, that Jesus was going to be killed. And my daughter's, she's confused. Obviously she's never heard this story, right? And some of you may have, may have not heard this story until recently, but then the next page, I flipped the next page and it shows Jesus being beaten and they're, they're beating him and you can see the blood and my daughter, I can, I can hear her start breathing heavy. Dude, she, I mean, she has never heard this before. All she's heard is Jesus is great. Jesus fixes people. Jesus does miracles. And I can hear her just, just start breathing heavy. She starts fidgeting with her hands like this. I can tell she's getting agitated. And I flip to the next page, and it shows Jesus laying down on the cross, and they're putting nails in his hands like this. And she's super confused, and she's just getting real agitated and worked up. And the next picture has him standing up on the cross like this. And... He's all bloody in the crown of thorns. He's naked on the cross. And she's really agitated. And I say that Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then he cried out with a loud voice. It is finished. And then he died. And when I said that, my daughter went crazy. She said, no, I don't want him to die. And it was crucial because she said, she, she looked at the page and she pointed at one of the soldiers. And she said, did this happen because he's a bad man? And I said, yeah. It did. It happened because he's a bad man. And I pointed at the next guy and I said, it happened because he's a bad man. And I pointed at me and I said, and it happened because daddy's bad and because mama's bad and because you're bad. And my daughter is five years old, but she needs to be rescued by Jesus, right? And then the way I explained to her, as simple as I could, was that in the cross, Jesus gets all of our badness and we get all of his goodness. We get his righteousness. Right? We learned about that this morning. That, uh, well, I'll read the verse here in Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. We heard that this morning, right? That was the bad news of this morning. Everybody is under condemnation. But then it says this. Therefore, in verse 18, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness or goodness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. It's crazy. Verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, great grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's the gospel. That Jesus makes bad men good. Jesus makes dead men alive. Some of you guys know this. You've heard this before. Some of you guys haven't heard it that much. You've just heard it this year being in Christian school for the first time. This is the good news of the gospel, but we need rescuing. We we desperately need rescuing from Christ. That he would give us his goodness and that he would take our sin, that he would take our badness. And that happens 
when we believe and trust in the salvation, in the death and, and resurrection of Christ, because he didn't stay dead, right? Death couldn't hold him. He's more powerful than death. He made everything. Death couldn't hold him. So three days later, he rose from the, gra- from the grave. And that same power that, rose him from the, that raised him from the dead empowers us to live a righteous life, right? And that he gives us his goodness. And so then we can live that out. Then's when we start acting like we should because we love Jesus, because we've been given a new nature. We don't act good so that God will really like us. We act good because we're different, because Christ has made us different. He's given us his goodness. And that'll happen as we turn from our old life and, and turn to start following Jesus. It's called repentance, like kind of turn and changing of mind, turning of direction, that we would put to death those old deeds and turn to Christ for salvation and start following after him. Small group leaders, you're going to need to flesh that out in small groups. But this is the good news of the gospel. We had to talk about the bad news for 30 minutes this morning so we can talk about the good news, that Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world. That was already done. The world was condemned already. But he who does not believe in Christ stands condemned. I'm going to read that verse. John chapter 3. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Listen, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only son of God. It's clear. We stand condemned. We need rescuing. So I pray that if you don't know Christ, if, you, if this is new to you, even if you've heard this before, but that you, you don't follow after Christ, I pray that you'd ask questions tonight in small groups, that you ask questions of your, your leaders that are here, ask questions of us, man. We really want to talk to you more about what it means to be saved, to be rescued by God, because that's why he came. In Luke 19.10, one of the most beautiful verses in the scripture to me, it says, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. That's big. The son of man, the one who's going to judge everyone at the end of the days, he came to seek and save, to look for and find and save the lost. We need it. I'm going to pray for us. And then uh, then we're going to worship. We're going to sing together to the Lord. Jesus, thank you for these guys. Lord, I pray that you would uh, concrete the gospel into our minds, that you didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world was condemned and you came to save it. God, I pray that you would bring these guys to a fuller understanding of your gospel of what it means to be in Christ, what it means to be saved, to receive your righteousness, to turn from sin. I pray that you'd empower the small group leaders as they flesh that out tonight. Lord, we love you. I want to worship you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.